When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's football and random things. It's game week. We've made it, Jeff Woody. The off season is over. What's up, man? man. How's it feel? It's, it, 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 we did it. We did it. You and me we did finally it. did it. There's going to be so much football on this football and random things. So few random things, so much football. Uh, I feel like every time that we ever say that there's going to be few random things, those end up being some of the times when there's the most random things. Okay. So I'm trying to make a, I'm trying to make a, 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 a bond with the listener so they can, they can believe in us because they've believed in, they've trusted the process to get us here. I'm trying to keep the process and just pay it off because that's what people are here for is you and I talking exclusively about football and nothing else. You and I talking exclusively about you and I did it. You see what I did there? What? You and I talking about you, you and I, you and you and I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't I get the joke. Uh, okay. Well, you're an idiot. Uh, the Cyclones play the Panthers this weekend <laughs> in the season opener, three thirty kick at Jack Trice stadium on uh, ESPN plus it's a uh, nine 43 AM on Monday. I still have not seen a line released for this game. I saw there was like someone floating something around where it's like, four I don't touchdowns. think that that's a line. It's not a line, but like a ballpark of 24, 26, something like that. Action uh, Action Network has had something posted on their, on their app for about 24 hours where it has Iowa State as a 37 and a half point favorite. Uh, the number is 42 and a half. So basically they think that you and I is not going to score the entire game. And uh, Iowa State is, a, is minus 45,000 on the money line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it's 37 and a half, I mean, give me the, give me the Panthers and the I points. Say, I, I, I'll, I'll take the Panthers in that one. <laughs> in 37 and a half. Um, no. So we were, <sighs> okay. So one of the things about doing a, a like start of the season games, it, they're notoriously hard to get a vibe on just because, you know, there is no film and every team comes in different than previous year's teams. But this is even more peculiar because this is an FCS team, which is naturally like there are less statistical resources that you and I, or, or the average fan can go find. Like there's less of a database that's easily accessible just because there's not as much, I would imagine just not as much money put into it. Um, but 
what confounds this a little bit farther is this, that this was a spring season that they played. So like a lot of the teams didn't play the amount of games that one normal, like teams would normally play. They only had six complete, like the, each team only had like six scheduled regular season games in the playoffs. So like even the statistics that were there in the spring are really hard to pull anything from. So the, a lot of this is, I don't know what I guess, but we kind of have to base some of what we can expect on Saturday off of what they went, what they did last year, because so if you're a, if you're a football player, if you are sitting in the Iowa state meeting room later this morning or early afternoon, whenever they have their team meeting and they get handed, if they haven't already been handed the uh, scouting report on Northern Iowa, you're going to get a projected depth chart seeing who's going to start at what position and what their number is coming into this year. So you can watch the film and say, Hey, formerly number 22 is now going to be number 13 or whatever. And he's going to be playing outside linebacker. Watch what he does. So you can watch kind of general personality things. Uh, but you're also going to get a, like a stats book of what they like to do in different situations. So they're going to break down what they did last year, whether it's offensively or defensively to say, on third downs defensively, they like to bring pressure or on third and short offensively, they like to go play action, something. So using what we are going to do our version of that, where you're taking information from last year and projecting sort of forward, what's going to happen this year, but you really don't know for sure. That being said, things that we know Northern Iowa was pretty salty on defense last year. I don't know the the exact statistics, but I think they held their opponents under 350 yards in out of their seven games they played. I think in five of the seven, they held their opponents to under 300 yards. We could have been um, four out of seven, but either way. Uh, So their defense is pretty salty. They, the statistics that I'm sure of is they only got seven turnovers in those seven games. It's one a game, which is a pretty decent average, but not outstanding compared to the rest of the, the FCS. Um, and they allowed very few yards, which what that says to me is they didn't get any, any possessions that stopped cheaply. Like someone fumbles it away or they get interception or tip ball or something like that. Like they had to earn their way of pushing the other offense off the field, meaning a low yardage total plus a low time or low turnovers total. I mean, that's just a defense that is generally pretty fundamentally sound. So like, that's something that we can expect. And that's not ultimately surprising from uh, Mark Farley, Northern Iowa team that is surprising is on the flip side of that. The other side of the ball is statistically, again, we are projecting. And if you are a Northern Iowa fan, that's like listening to see what, or if you, you know, sympathetic to you and I, and you're an Iowa state fan, whatever, we're not saying that they are going to be this. We just don't know. I mean, based on what they were last year and statistically looking at it, their offense was bad last year. Like, I don't think there's any other way to sugarcoat it. Their offense was bad in the spring. I like think really there bad. were really they bad. had two, they had that they themselves had two games where they went over 300 yards and the combined record of the teams that they went over 300 offensive yards against was two and 11. And one of the, those two wins was Western Illinois beating Youngstown state. So there was one win that those teams that they scored, they, they got 300 yards against only beat one other team. So any team that was worth their salt in anything, they averaged like 250 offensive yards which would be like Iowa state's worst output of last year. I think even in the Oklahoma state game, they had 340 something. So, or even more. So they offensively, they didn't move the ball at all. And I think you were saying one thing that like from the quarterback perspective, what like there is a statistic that jumped out to you. 
yeah, so Will McIlvain uh, is back for them. He was was he a true freshman when he started for them in 2019? Yeah, it was a true. I think true for a redshirt freshman. Either way, it was his first career start. I know that. Um, but last season, so he he had to miss two games last year because of COVID. Uh, completed 51 percent of his passes, threw one touchdown and two interceptions in five games. Uh, not overly prolific with yards or anything like that. I mean, it was a it it was not a what I would call a fantastic showing. Uh, it's crazy to think that that first start uh, back in September of 2019, he went 25 of 42 for 228 yards and one touchdown in that game. And then rushing yards, he had at least had another hundred rushing. Uh, no, he actually really didn't, but I think they had a handful of sacks that kind of brought things down. But either but way, he, if he was very dynamic in eluding pressure mm-hmm. uh, that made him much more difficult to stop than what they should have been. That game was a, there was a lot that went on in that game. There was a lot going on, but when you look at everything, if it's going to start with him, I mean, he was by no means probably as good as what anybody would have expected him to be uh, after how he started his freshman year last season. It's tough because I would think um, like we went out of that game when they played against Iowa state in 2019 and I was sitting there thinking like, damn, they got to play this kid again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looked like he was going to be the best FCS player in the country at that mm-hmm. point. And uh, we've just never really seen that again. Um, but they brought in two more quarterbacks, two transfers, Theo Day from Michigan State, Matt Morrissey from Trinity Valley Community College, which actually is where uh, uh, Greg Eisworth came from as well. Um, and I think that those guys are kind of battling for the starting job. It, depending on which interview with Mark Farley you're reading, it's – hard to get a very solid gauge of like what's actually happening in this quarterback mm-hmm. competition. There's been times where he said that McIlvain's the starter, but then there's also been times where he said that they're having a competition for the spot. So, I mean, I, I assume that McIlvain will be the guy for them when, once the game starts on Saturday, but even then, like, I don't know, I don't know how overly concerning it is to see him again for a second time in his career. Yeah. It's, it's really it is odd because of how good he was relative to how he has performed since then. You know, like you said, is absolutely dynamic in that. It's almost like an Iowa State basketball thing where like Iowa State basketball always has that guy who kind of comes out of nowhere to pop off on him. It, it's uh, like it's like that with with this, but in a football sense. Yeah. And so like the other thing is there isn't a guy defensively that you look at and go, you know, Iowa state defensively looking at Northern Iowa's offense and go, we have to stop X, Y, Z just because there isn't, I don't know. I think there was one game last year. They had 27 total rushing yards. I think it was the Missouri state game, like 27 total rushing yards. That's not even including the, you know, the low total offensive output. They just didn't, there's nothing about the statistics of, Northern Iowa's games. And we did not, again, we are not watched them. I don't know what exactly the film looks like. Maybe the opponents that they had like game plan perfectly. I don't know, but there's nothing statistically that makes you go, man, we really got to watch out for this. Uh, but I think the way, like if I were to piece together what the, the last season says, plus what Mark Farley's attitude is, this is a team that wants to stay in a slug fest with you. They want, even if, 
you know, like even if it's McElvain and McElvain, even because when I was coaching at Roosevelt, um, which shout out to the road rough riders, big win on Friday, beat Des Moines East. I think it was like 47 to zero. Good job. Um, but when I was coaching Roosevelt, the we played against McElvain at Lincoln and it was kind of this, it was the same thing that he plays at Northern Iowa, which he plays backyard ball really well. He plays organized football only. Okay. And so like when you keep him on schedule in the pocket and he can't scramble, that's really where it starts to like fall apart for him. So even outside of that, like scrambling, chuck it down the field, they, I would imagine they only turned the ball over six times. So like they didn't give the ball up. They didn't get the ball often from turnovers, which means they want to stand there and push down the field like basically what Iowa state wants to do, which is just consistent seven yards at a time, like just chunk down the field. They're not trying to get these giant chunk plays. They might come on scrambles or broken plays or something like that. Uh, they're just not very good at it. And I think uh, the bad news for Northern Iowa in this context is in years past, they've had one or two really good defensive linemen or one or two really good offensive linemen. And the rest are pretty darn good, which has almost given them, I don't want to say an advantage, but it's allowed them to be aggressive and at least neutralize what Iowa state wants to do and force them out of situations. Like the last time that they weren't able to do that was the David Montgomery year when, what was it? 40 something to, I don't remember. That was a decent size win, right? It was in 2018. Or, uh, that would have been in 17, 17. It was Alan, and Alan Joel senior year. Yeah. When it was the, uh, the David Montgomery show. Yeah. That was the last time that I think, I think Iowa state had an, a line advantage and was able to push them around and you're in other years, Northern Iowa has played line position wise as good as Iowa state, which has allowed them to stay in those games or to push Iowa state even you know, hell they beat us. So like allowed them to be in a position to win because they've had really good offensive or defensive line play. Well, if you're in a slug fest and you want to play kind of possession football, you're playing against a team in Iowa state that does that about as well as any team in the country at any level. That's not really a good recipe for success coming into Ames. Well, especially when your team averages like three yards a carry, on mm -hmm. the ground. I mean, they, they do bring back. So basically this Northern Iowa offense basically returns everybody from last season, which you and I were talking about before we got started. I, I was going to ask you, do you think that that's a good thing for them or a bad thing? Because I feel like when you're this, when you are as inept offensively as what they seem to be in seven games, like is bringing everybody back the best thing, you know, mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't do know. Think? I think that they, the good news is they have teaching tape on you, you know, like you are, and there's, there's always going to be depth chart pushing. There's always going to be a backup, like the quarterbacks again, hell, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback, any one of three and a half guys. Cause I don't know how the, the Fomby kid who filled in for McElvain, we had to be in the COVID, COVID protocol. I don't know. just any one of the three guys could be a starter, but the starters then can say, all right, Hey, let's, let's watch Iowa state's going to be a three down team. Let's pull up three down film. Hey, center in three down, every time that we ran to the left, you got beat underneath or something like that. Like, this is something you need to work on right now. Point blank period. It's not, Hey, do you remember when Joe blow was playing guard and he did this? Well, now you just need to avoid that. Like it is a person to person explicitly watch the tape from the year prior, knowing what you can work on in the off season, but they didn't have much of an off season. So like, 
yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, this is a, I would say it's probably good because you just get again, film on yourself, but you get film on yourself with like three months to do anything about it. Cause the season ended in what April, May, and now it's September or it, it will, they will be playing in September. They've got what three, four months of actually doing anything. And that's all during the summer to maybe adjust and improve upon the things that they did not do very well last year. So I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I don't think, but I don't like, I, I just don't know what to, ex- if they can, I don't know how you can expect them to be substantially better. They might be, and they might blind squirrel finds a nut, but I don't think that they're going to be that much better Saturday than they were when they last played against North Dakota state. And it's one of those things that I think if they'd performed well, you, you'd have to step back and be like, okay, well they had some rhythm. It hasn't been that long. Maybe they could have maintained some of that rhythm uh, from the spring and carried it through the summer. But when it seemed like they had no rhythm in the spring, it's like it, like how much can you do to really change that when you don't get opportunities to play in games, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, like they bring back everybody. They got their top two running backs, both back uh, Hoosman and Williams. Uh, one ran for about 375 yards and six touchdowns. And the other ran for about 245 and two touchdowns, but neither one was really over four yards per carry. Uh, and then they bring back their top five wide receivers too, led by Quan Hampton, who had, 356 yards, zero touchdowns. And then they bring back Trevor Penning, who's a right tackle. And he's probably going to be one of the top FCS guys in the NFL draft this season. So it's like, they've got guys that are coming back that are, that have played a lot of football for them that have, have seen the bullets flying and been out there when, you know, the bright, the bright lights are on. It's just, I think that nobody knows how much, how many gains can you make when you just don't have that, that normal off season time. I mean, especially even physically, like mm-hmm. I would think that you're not, you are at a serious disadvantage in how much physical gains you can make during uh, a stretch like that. Yeah. Cause you got to do at least a little bit of rehab. Like you hit the ground running in January, but you're in, in a normal year, but let's say you, even if you're playing a bowl game, like we play in a bowl game and say the game bowl game is December 30th. When, when I was there, I don't remember. Um, but so your last regular season game is like first or second week of December then you have a bowl game. So during that time, you're doing basically like rehab and kind of get letting your body recover. You're doing practices and stuff. And then you play in that game week and then you take two or three weeks off, but you would have had outside of the one hard week of practice prior to the game, you would have had like seven weeks to kind of let your body recover and you can hit the ground running in January. And then you have from January until spring ball, a three month stretch, then spring ball. Then you have another four month stretch afterwards. So like if there's a guy that has like a tender hamstring, or uh, a shoulder that's been kind of tight, you know, like imagine like Greg Eisworth a couple years ago when he had kind of that bum shoulder, you got four months to rehab. If it has to get operated on, or if you have to do physical therapy or whatever, you don't get to then lift during that time. You're just doing therapy to try and recover from that injury. So like if anybody has these little like nagging injuries, they only have enough time horizon to recover that injury, to try and get back to where they started the season maybe layering in some, like, if you have a shoulder injury, some lower body strength, they have a hamstring injury, some upper body stuff. Like you don't really have a way to like tie that in and like recover and then grow, Like you don't have that off season. So yeah, again, a team that, that is coming in underperforming or being a pedestrian offense, not without a lot of time to then 
improve their physical ability to do the thing, their, their improvement will lie exclusively on technique and execution. Like that's the only thing that's going to get them better from last year to this year is executing better. They will not be physically better than they were last year. Where like, we talk about guys like, you know, I think the, the standout for Iowa state from last year to this year is a guy like Charlie, where like he is bigger, more physical, able to, and he's put on what, 10 or 12 pounds of muscle, like that kind of transformation from season to season, Charlie might be better from this year than last year, exclusively just on being stronger and faster. Like you can then push someone out of the way in a better fashion than you could last year. Northern Iowa won't have that. So uh, yeah, it, it all kind of boils down to that same point. It's like, I don't know where they're going to get better. Like, I don't know what they're going to improve upon unless they've just spent a tremendous amount of time just executing and communicating better. Like maybe that's a thing. Like, again, I, they, they might, and again, they might also McIlvain comes out of nowhere and has this great game on scrambling plays. Maybe they are able to do that again. I just don't, I don't see where it's going to come from. I, I just, I don't see where Northern I was going to be able to execute with a level, a level that they need to. I think you just have to wonder, and this is something that will be interesting to follow kind of as the FCS season goes along, what the fatigue factor will be. Mm-hmm. when you have to play this many games, well, obviously now, I mean, they will not have played that many games in a calendar year, but like by the midpoint of the season, when you've played 14 games in six months, you know, mm-hmm. and you're going to end up playing close to 20 games in six months like that, that would, I don't know that we've really ever seen that with college kids in uh in one calendar year. It'll yeah. be interesting to see how the, the wear and tear of that kind of the toll it takes on these, on these guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be this game. That's really affected that much. No, it's going to be week seven when they start to have, you know, they've played a full season worth seasons worth of games. They played 12, 13 games. And then all of a sudden you now have to play six more games. So that's, I don't know. Yeah. This game, it's so hard to peg. But if you had to guess what, what, if, I mean, you know, you and I pretty well, and you obviously know a lot about Mark Farley's teams. If you had to guess, what is the offensive strategy coming into this game for them? I think they're going to have to try and use their offensive line in a way that gets the ground game going. Um, because things that work against this Iowa state defense are, are establishing the running game, like teams that were able to do that or are able to do that, like Oklahoma. Like if you are able to do that against Iowa state, then you force them to pay a little more attention in the box and they're not able to drop back as much. And if they're not able to drop back as much, because what Iowa state ultimately wants to do is rush three drop eight. They don't want to bring more pressure if they don't have to. And so if they can stop the run without really committing any more attention to the box, because you're, you know, consistently second and eight, second and nine, or third and seven, third and eight, then they don't have to bring anything up and they can run a base defense. Scrambling doesn't really work against that type of that version of Iowa state's defense. When you have eight guys out or eight guys in, in pass defense and three guys rushing one of them being Will McDonald, you're going to run out of clock somewhere. And that clock doesn't really allow for any like a ton of openings because 
there's eight dudes that you're trying to, that you have to find some space in between. So if I'm Mark Farley, you have got to start running the ball better. And I don't know where you try and find that advantage because if your offensive line isn't performing as well as it needs to from years past, you're not really going to be able to move that against this group of linebackers, this group of defensive linemen. So, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try and get the ball moving. Uh, the other thing that I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and stay as on rhythm as I can, because this, again, what works against the Iowa state defense is certain short and intermediate passing because they are generally so passive. There are spaces that exist. It just happens so fast that the window opens and shuts. So if you can run the ball and stay on rhythm in the passing game with like, you're not trying to take these huge chunk plays, then maybe you might be able to actually move the ball down the field. Um, the other thing that you have to consider is if you're going to play that strategy, it has to work. It has to work because if it doesn't, you are playing ball control against a team that has, again, your defense has got to stop Iowa state's offense. Cause if you go, let's say you do that and you get, I don't know, you go two or three first downs and have to punt. You possess the ball for three minutes. Iowa state clips down and scores in three or four minutes. Cause their offense is really good. All this down seven, zero, you do that again, two or three first downs. Then you have to punt. Iowa state clips down, scores another touchdown. You're on 14, zero. And now you have to be patient in climbing your way back that's not a real good recipe. Again, it's not, it's not really going to lead to success. So if you're going to play that, you have to play super well, complimentary football. Your defense has to keep Iowa state out of the end zone as much as you possibly can and get them off the field relatively quickly. So your defense doesn't get worn down by the end of the game. So again, the long answer, short question, you have to start running the ball and you have to stay on rhythm in quick or intermediate passing and every once in a while, take a shot and just hope that some stuff that McElvain or whatever, one of the quarterbacks can do something with it. I think a best case scenario for Iowa state would be, you know, Matt Campbell's not going to take the ball, but if they got the ball to open the game and could open it with like a six minute, 75 yard drive on 12 plays mm -hmm. where they just every, every time it's just like a death by a thousand paper cuts type of mm -hmm. situation, you know, and immediately you set the tone of, we're going to come right at you. We don't, we're not in any hurry to do it, mm -hmm. but we're going to be like boa constrictors, just tightening around your defense yeah. until all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, it's halftime. And our defense has spent three quarters of the game on the field. Yeah. And that, that would be, I mean, that's, I see, I feel like that's what makes like when you watch like zombie movies and stuff, I feel like that's what makes the zombie movies scary is the inevitability that what you are facing is not fast. It's just inevitable. And like that, I feel like that's the best way that Iowa state can win this, you know, can, can put up your Northern Iowa out of this game is you are, if every time the ball comes into our possession, you, you're, you know what your opposing offense, go grab a, go grab a Mai Tai hang out. You're not going to come back on the field for another 25 minutes because it's going to be an absolute, just punch to the stomach, punch to the stomach, punch to the stomach, 15 yard play, punch to the stomach, punch to the stomach. And Iowa state's capable of doing that. And uh, uh, again, not to discredit Northern Iowa's defense, because as bad as their offense was, their defense was pretty yeah. darn effective. Pretty good. They have, yeah. they have really good defensive linemen as well. I think number 44 is one of them that I forget. Yeah, Jared Brinkman was the Missouri Valley 
football conference defensive player of the year. Yeah, it, it, it's 44 defensive lineman. Yeah, I think so. I didn't write his number down. But. but either way, like they have good players, but their defense is going to have to do a lot unless their offense can actually move the ball. Like that's where, you know, when, when you look at the games that they ended up losing, the games that they lost were because their defense eventually broke, like eventually it cracked because the offense wasn't doing anything. So if the defense is going to be on the field for 34 minutes, or even if it's a 50, 50 split of 30 minutes, but most of those are coming in these big, long sustained drives at some point, Iowa state is better than every other team that they've played from a pure talent standpoint that it's not, you're not going to be able to stop Brees Hall or Jarrell Brock or Xavier Hutchinson or Tariq Milton or somebody from doing something like a, a breaking something. If you are going to be on the field for 32 minutes, 35 minutes. So this, this is a game where just because of, of what Northern Iowa's offense appears to be like on paper, where if Iowa state can get up 14 to zero relatively quickly, it'll feel like it's 35 to zero. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause I don't think, I mean, maybe they do want to run this 1998 Denver Broncos run, run, run big giant shot down the field. Maybe they want to run that. I don't know. That might not, that, I don't know what those quarterbacks can do. Like, cause that the, the what the transfer kid from Michigan state, isn't he like six, five, like two twenty or something like that. Something He's like a that. pocket yeah. passer or, or big, tall, throw it down the field quarterback closer like maybe, to what Northern Iowa's quarterbacks have been in the past. Yeah. And like, maybe they want to, maybe they want to play that game and it might be then a little easier to make up bigger points, but this defense generally executes well against that. Unless you have an elite level quarterback, like Charlie Brewer or uh, Spencer Rattler, those or uh, Sam Ellinger, like those are really the only three guys in the last couple of years that have done anything the field substantially against Iowa state is whoever the quarterback at Oklahoma was Sam Ellinger or Charlie Brewer are really the only guys that have done stuff down the field. So this, this game, again, I don't know how to sugarcoat it. I don't want to, and I hope that people don't get the sense that like, we are just super homery. This is what the statistics say. Yeah. Like statistically, this game probably isn't close if Northern Iowa plays how they played last year and Iowa state plays how they played last year, there isn't really a map. There isn't really a, a way forward where Northern Iowa actually ends up punching at like, above their weight right. because they just weren't good offensively last year. And you're not going to be able to get away with that. You're not You cannot play an average offensive game to put your defense on the field that long against Iowa state's offense and expect to, to be able to stay with it. Cause even if the game is 13 to six at halftime, something like that, but your defense has been on the field for 18 minutes out of the 30, because you've played a pretty bad or pedestrian offense. So you maybe got a big play here or there. As you come back out for the second half, naturally there's less depth at Northern Iowa than there is at Iowa state. And naturally the way this offense runs, it's going to end up, they're going to find a way to push you into the ground. And so, yeah, if they play pedestrian offense, like they have last year, this game runs away in the second half, unless something is different. Okay. Quickly, before we take a break, what's one group that you're is going to be the most important for Iowa state position group on defense. One that maybe you're most intrigued to see come into this game, uh, 
for, for the Iowa State defense? Defensive line. Okay. I think that's my, my number one, especially against Northern Iowa and how they're going to want to run. Can they stop the run and do what they did last year um, with the front three causing a, you know, a pile making, causing disruption for the offensive line, allowing the linebackers to stay free. And if that's the case, then they'll be fine. If the defensive line underperforms in how, in what they might want or then what relative to what they want to do, then yeah, maybe Northern Iowa can move the ball a little bit, but it's, I think it's on the defensive line to stop the running game and force the quarterbacks who again had one passing touchdown last year to do something against that back seven. So I think the defensive line is the most important position group uh, this week against Northern Iowa. Okay. Let's flip it over to the defense. When we come back here on football and random things on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. The Northern Iowa defense, um, as yeah, and you mentioned this before, as poor as the as the Northern Iowa offense was in the spring, uh, Northern Iowa's defense was just as good. I mean, mm-hmm. the defense is is basically the entire reason that they were able to even win three games, and then they had three other games. I think where they lost by a. Com- combined 15 points. So yeah. they were in some more games too. Yeah. All of all four of their losses had a combined, yeah. Combined 15. It was like one, three, seven and six or something like that, where their total losses and those teams, the, the, their conference is very good. They lost the games. They lost for South Dakota state, who was a runner up in FCS, North Dakota state, who is North Dakota state. And I think the other two were, um, Illinois state and Missouri state or something like that, which, I don't know how Illinois state and Missouri state are relative to the other two, but South Illinois Coast state's Northwest, usually pretty good They're Yeah. But those two, like the, the Dakota States, those are, I mean, those teams, I, you put them against a lot of the bottom half of the quote power five, they probably beat 40%, 40 to 50% of the bottom half of the power five. Like they are probably about as good as what Texas tech will come into is the South Dakota state, North Dakota state is you put them in a conference. They do about as well as Texas tech. Um, so yeah, they won and they had a tough schedule and they were able to do defensively what they wanted to do because the other teams weren't able to take advantage of the bad offense that Northern Iowa was playing. So like I said, though, in the other, in addition to playing good defense, they had seven, they only got seven turnovers in seven games. So they had to earn and push the other offense off the field. They didn't have like these, you know, like you look at the, I think Oklahoma state is the team, the team that we, that will always do this is they'll gamble. Like there's a, a post pattern that the, the opposing offense is running and your safety could either go to bat it down and make a safe defensive play or go try and jump and make a pick where if you get the interception, it's turnover. If you miss that, it's a touchdown for the other team, like to roll the dice and get turnovers. I don't, they're not cheap, but there are more, there are quicker ways to stop a drive and flip and kind of get, cause the other team can't gain any yards and kind of flip your total defensive statistics on turnovers. They didn't really do that. Like they just stayed and said, all right, you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to earn your way down the field. And they were able to, come up with a bunch of third down stops. So they're extremely solid against a good, a decent schedule, but I don't think like, we can't completely run away from this opposing offense. 
they're not going to be able to do that for 60 minutes against Iowa state. If the other offense isn't contributing to the time of possession or on the party. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that game in 2019, what, what was it that their defense was able to do to Iowa state's offense that gave them so much trouble? And what did Iowa state's offense not do that we saw from them as that season kind of went along that maybe inhibited them? I mean, I, I remember us talking about Iowa state being about as vanilla as you possibly could, could be in that game. And it almost coming back to bite them in the ass. I don't envision that being the case again. Yeah. Well, Sheldon Crony was a starting running back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, Sheldon and Kane probably, and Johnny Lang probably got the majority of the carries. Yeah. So, and Brock was going into his first year starting as the, you know, the first year starting as quarterback and the offensive line had his first full year is the his first full year. Sorry. Yeah. His first full year as quarterback. So uh, that was kind of new. And they, the, the, who, I don't even remember who the offensive line starters were, um, but the, the, the talent level at Iowa state was probably equivalent to that at Northern Iowa where they, from a, from a line standpoint. So I think uh, from pulling up the actual statistics, uh, you and I rushed for a grand total in that game of 34 yards. So offensively, not very good. Uh, Iowa state, what turned, uh, I don't know, turn up, like turn the ball over two or three different times. So it, what did Northern Iowa do to slow down Iowa state is force you to throw. And at that time, there was not much rhythm. There was not much execution from what they needed to do. And I think Iowa state got bored. Like they didn't, they just stopped running as aggressive as what they needed to, to actually continue to do stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that there's an element of, it would not surprise me if Iowa state strategy early in this game is to come out and say, we're going to line up and we're going to run straight at you. And we're going to try and just physically manhandle you as early as we can and pummel you into submission early in this football game. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it, it probably is demoralizing as a defense to know that if you give up, if you get behind by any really reasonable amount, you're going to be in some real trouble, you know? And I mean, the amount of pressure that that puts on a defense, the amount of pressure that Iowa state's offense can put on a defense, like this is going to be a, a, a game for where Northern Iowa will have absolutely zero room for air on either side of the football. Yeah. And I, so I'm going looking through the statistics here. Um, this was the, one of the games where Deshante had 14 catches for 126 yards, which I remember watching How many this passes. Game. Did they throw 42? Yeah. 41, excuse me. 41, 41 pass attempts. Deshante had 14 receptions for 120 some yards. So if I remember right, they made them throw because they had 180 total yards rushing by the time everything was said and done. Uh, Iowa state did, but I don't think that it felt like that because there was this stretch in the beginning of the game where they really moved the ball. And then there was this like big, like second and third quarters where nothing happened and they made them throw and they made them throw underneath and they weren't able to get progressed on the field at all. Like they weren't able to throw the ball down. Like the Michael Petway was, the down the field threat and Tariq Milton was the down the field threat that time. Well, yeah. What Northern Iowa did is they made, they, they played Iowa state's defense basically Yeah, is they stopped the run and then made you throw underneath. And I, I don't see that happening again this year. It, it, that model worked because 
the rushing, the running game for Iowa state was not a thing that you really had to care that much about. I mean, they, again, there is, I think, so Johnny Lang had 14 for 60, uh, Sheldon Crony had 13 carries for 56. Some, some punk freshman named Brees Hall had 11 carries for 47 yards. So there was a kind of a by committee. There wasn't a consistent rhythm or wasn't a consistent front that you could look at. So there wasn't as much threat in Iowa state's rushing attack as there is this year, which made it so they could, you know, we talked about what Northern Iowa was going to do against Iowa needs to do against Iowa state. There wasn't as much threat for Northern Iowa to commit more than they needed to, but they stopped the run as best they could, as, as much as it was as necessary and then kept stuff in front of them, made them throw underneath 41 times for what was total 278 yards. He had 41 pass attempts for 270 yards. Brock did. Uh, and that's including the overtime and everything was short. So take that fast forward that to this year, how are you going to stop Iowa state's rushing attack with a normal personnel grouping, like with a normal front, normal personnel grouping, if you're going to stop what Iowa state has become now in the running game. Yeah. I was just going to say they, if Northern Iowa tries to come in with the same game plan that they used in 2019, they were, are going to be in for a rough day. Like right. just, I mean, with how light some of the run boxes they were giving Iowa mm-hmm. state were that they're going to have to do something different. And I would think that that will open things up then for the pass game. If it, if they do everything they can to sell out, to stop the run. Like, I, I feel like you're, this is a situation where you're damned. If you do damned, if you don't from Northern Iowa's perspective, where if you sell out to try and stop the run, now you're giving all these openings to these, to this receiving this receiving core and kind of letting Brock stand back there and pick, pick you apart. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to sit back, then you're liable to give up 200 yards to Brees Hall. Yeah. And the, what I, what I will say though, is that what Northern Iowa can do and they, that they have consistently done in the past is penetration kills plays especially against a, a team that likes to run the ball the way Iowa state does is penetration kills plays. And they've always got some scrappy defensive lineman. That's like an, a nose guard. That's like 281 pounds or something like that. Like, which is a really little nose guard. So you have like a 280 pound nose guard, but he's great with his hands is going to throw somebody is going to force someone to change directions right away. Um, so penetration, that's the way that Northern Iowa can potentially run the box they want to is if they're able to consistently get penetration, which falls down to this Iowa State offensive line. And I don't see where it's coming from. You know, again, that maybe this is us looking too far down our noses, uh, how potentially good this Iowa State offensive line is. But I don't see where penetration is necessarily going to come from because you have experience and communication at all levels not just one or two guys here or there. It's not just Trevor Downing and Colin Newell. And then you have a bunch of new players. You have minimum seven guys that have played substantial snaps and substantial snaps together that that penetration, unless some guy absolutely gets ragdolled again and again and again and again, isn't going to be really a thing that uh, an experienced offensive line that communicates well is going to do. So yeah, I, I don't, again, I maybe again, I'm, I'm trying not to be a, a huge Homer. I'm trying not to say this game is going to be a five touchdown runaway. Cause I don't think it will be, but I don't, from an outside vantage point, I don't see the path forward for Northern Iowa because the things that have worked in the past are not set up to work well against this Iowa state team. 
for stop the run or at least slow down the run and force him to throw underneath. All right, great. Do that against a team that has two or three tight ends that are going to be able to, to stay in and run the ball, force you to be in a heavier box, then get more one-on-one matchups against the wide receivers outside. Plus really good pass catching tight ends. All right. Now load up the box, uh, try and get penetration against the running game. So you put extra attention there. Let's Iowa state spreads it out. They have guys like Tariq Milton, you know, that can actually go down the field. You have, maybe you want to stop the pass and, and make them run the ball for some odd reason. Uh, they have the best running back in the country. It, there's, I just don't see a way that Northern Iowa does this, but I'm not eliminating the possibility that they come out and play more or less tit for tat with Iowa state, at least for a while like that. That's I think ultimately what happens, but I don't see how they're going to do it. I'm very interested to see what puzzle Farley and staff put together to try a go and go against this Iowa state team. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like this is, I could see the score at halftime being 14 to zero. And there are people that are pissed off. Yeah. But in reality, you should sit there and if it's 14 to zero, you're again, like you should feel like, man, we're up 28 to zero mm-hmm. at this point, basically it, it, just because of how inexplosive that offense has shown to be. Yeah, they are. And they've got talent. Like let's, let's not go into this game thinking that, I mean, yes, Iowa state is more talented than most teams they're going to play on their count or on their schedule. There is not many people that are, straight up as athletically or physically as talented and tough as Iowa state is, but Northern Iowa would fall somewhere in like the lower half of the big 12 is probably about where Northern Iowa would play like a, a, like I said, Texas tech, I mean, shoot, I think they would beat Kansas. So you're playing against teams that are, are, are athletically just not as deep as you are. Like Iowa state has, seven or eight offensive linemen that theoretically could play at an all conference level. Northern Iowa probably has four or five where if they have, uh, if they are at, at, whether it's guys not performing the way he needs to, or they have an injury or they have a cramp or something like that, they don't have the depth to, to fill back in or Northern or Iowa state starts to get in a run they don't have as many subs to go into because their just talent pool isn't as deep, but they are still really talented. So there is going to be a time here, or there, you know, dozen, half dozen, two dozen times during the game where one guy, just one Northern Iowa guy just beats another, an Iowa state guy. They are not invincible. Iowa state is not invincible, but from an aggregate standpoint, it's just, I don't think, again, I don't think the talent is necessarily equivalent. So like you were saying, if it's 14 to zero at halftime, that that's likely only going to get worse in the second half because of the depth that Northern Iowa lacks against Iowa state. I think one of the good gauges when these FCS teams play FBS teams is like, how many guys does this team have that would start on the other one, or at least be in the two deep on the other one. There's been a lot of times where Iowa state's played Northern Iowa, that there would be a lot of guys on that roster who would be in the two deep at Iowa state. Mm -hmm. This is probably a year where there's maybe a handful Mm-hmm. And it's probably guys on the offensive and defensive lines that would be two deep type players, like a Trevor Pen- or a, a Penning or a uh, or a Jared Brinkman, the defensive lineman, mm-hmm. guys that could be dynamic enough to to play at the Big Twelve level. But there's just not. It's not where you know. In the past, there's David Johnson and there's all these other guys that you could see being someone that could have played at Iowa State that they they just don't have that same depth of talent and Iowa state's so much better now that it's just it there's just a clear gulf between these two talent wise yeah 
So I, I don't know if you were to, so if you were to ask me, how do you think this game is going to go? The way that I would imagine this thing starts is, uh, Iowa state gets off to its traditional, pretty slow start. Like the defensively Northern Iowa might move the ball in the first drive or two, the old, the, the professor's gambit that we talk about of trying to feel out what your opponent wants to do, see where your strategy is. And this is especially important against a team where again, they kind of know what's happening, but they also don't, they don't know what the quarterback's going to be. So you kind of have to come up with like three totally different game plans of what they're going to do. Or you just wait and say, all right, what are you going to do? Put your cards on the table. Let's see where you want to run. Let's see where you want to throw. Let's see the concepts you want to have. So they might, they might drive down and, you know, if they get the ball, they might get a touchdown or a field goal on the first drive. But I think after that, the Northern Iowa offense progressively more slowed down where if they, again, let's say they drive down, kick a field on the field goal on the opening drive, Iowa state might take the ball, turn around because they're feeling out the Northern Iowa defense. They might turn around and punt. It might be three to zero Northern Iowa in the middle of the first quarter. And everyone would be losing their ever loving minds. But from that point, there has been maybe one more drive happens where they kind of trade punts. But after that point, Haycock would have seen exactly what Northern Iowa wants to do as did Tom Manning to see exactly what Northern Iowa's defense wants to do. And at that point, it's put the pedal down, go. And I think from that point forward, it could end up being a Iowa state has these seven minute drives that end up putting Northern Iowa in really uncomfortable positions, especially at the end of the half. And they get increasingly more desperate on offense to try and move the ball in some form or fashion because the clamps came down from what Haycock normally does. So I think this game, if you were to, like I said, if I were to draw what I'm expecting to happen is Northern Iowa is closer than anybody wants them to be in the middle of the end of the first quarter. Iowa state looks pretty average, but then after that point, Iowa state starts to absolutely just put the pedal down and essentially say, all right, here's your bus ticket. Go back to Cedar falls and pushes everything physically offensively and defensively physically pushes Northern Iowa out of the way. And by the time halftime rolls around, it's like 17 to three or something like that after back to back to back, really powerful drives. And if Northern Iowa would have gotten the ball first, Iowa state gets it at halftime. They get it, take it down and score. It's 24 to three. Like the game can go from three to zero in the middle of the first quarter to 24 to three to start the second half. And I would be completely unsurprised if that happened. So I would say, and then by the time we get to the end of the third quarter, it might be, you know, 31 to three or something like that, but it won't feel, it won't feel like Iowa state's dominating the game until we get to the fourth quarter, because there is going to be this nervousness that because Northern Iowa is going to come out, they're going to play well. It's their super bowl. Uh, uh, you know, we at the cycle fanatic event in West or in, in downtown, Todd Blythe, who had coached Northern Iowa said, absolutely. Like that is, they circle this game coming in because they want to, the bright lights are on, the fans are in the stands. They want to show, Hey, Iowa state, you missed on me because I'm a better recruit. I, I deserve to be there. So they're going to come out on fire. And Iowa state traditionally waits to see what you're going to do, especially against an opponent that you don't have. So this game might be kind of slow ish in the middle of the first quarter and not great from an Iowa state perspective. And then after that point, it just goes, all right, Brees, here you go, buddy. And just down the field. That's my expectation of how Saturday goes. All right. What else are you looking forward to about Saturday? Uh, seeing Jack Trice full, like that's I'm, I'm so pumped about just getting 60 some thousand of your closest friends back together and kind of 
when the, you know, the smoke goes off and the players come out and everybody loses their minds. Like that moment is something that I feel like, especially after this off season and la- I mean, last year was really fun. We didn't get to see the games themselves. And then this off season with the whole Texas, Oklahoma realignment garbage and getting expectations, kind of getting told you're not worthwhile, whatever, finally getting to be in the stadium and say outside noise doesn't matter. Like the only thing that happens is this 52 and a half by hundred yards stretch. That's the only thing that matters right now. Let's have some fun. Like I think beyond all the stuff from Oklahoma, Texas outside entities, beyond all the stuff, we're actually able to watch football together at the same time. That's the thing I'm the most excited for. For sure. All right. Throughout the rest of the week, some of the things we got coming, um, we'll have Chris Williams. will have a column on Monday on the, on the front page of cyclone fanatic, uh, Matt Campbell's press conference on Tuesday. So we'll have podcasts and everything reacting to that. We'll have title nine, uh, Tuesday morning. Um, we'll have a new episode of Meyer to Blythe. Those, those jabronis will finally be back after they've taken the last like nine months off without recording podcasts while Jeff and I have been, have been slaving away, holding up the football end of the content for the last half a year. Like finally Todd and, and Brett are going to get off their asses yeah, welcome, and do Brett. something. Yeah. You're they're going to get off their asses and finally do something. Uh, it, it, it's kind of shocking, honestly, that we were able to, even able to get this much out of them. But uh, so we'll have that. We'll have cyclone fanatic radio coming back uh, Thursday from six to seven on 1460 and uh, 106.3 FM KXNO. Uh, and then we'll have the, uh, the tailgate show on um, we're going to record those ahead again, not going to do them uh, live from the North side of Jack Trice stadium, but uh, we're going to post those on the podcast network on, uh, on Saturday morning. So everybody will be able to, to hear those as well. Um, yeah. Are you excited, Jeff? It's game week, man. I'm uh I don't know. I might, I think my, my future in-laws are going to be setting up their tailgating spot at about six or 7. AM. I don't think I'm going to get there at six or 7. AM, but it's probably not going to be too far after. Cause I cannot wait to get to Ames. You're going to be in the parking lot ready to hit somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I, I think I don't still have shoulder pads, but I'm pretty sure I could talk to, to one of the coaches, like the local high school coaches, talk to, 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 to Barnett say, mm-hmm. Hey, you got a pair of large shoulder pads. I got a helmet. I got my jerseys. I don't have any football pants, but I'll just go in shells. I'll play in shells. Just some uh, practice shorts. Just shells and shorts. Cleats. Shells and shorts. Shells and shorts. Yeah. Helmets, shells, shorts. Uh, I got my cleats still. Like there, I'm, I'll just be standing in the middle of the parking lot, fully padded up, waiting to get, hey, coach, I'm right here. Anytime you see someone that you know, you give them a perfect form tackle right in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, no. I, I'm not going to tackle anybody. I'm an offensive player. It's going to be more of a, a down block, something like a, it's an impact back block. It's a lead block. Yeah. It's a lead block. Yeah. I'm going to, so it's going to be, I mean, hat and hands. It's not going to be a wrap. It's going to be hat and hands, like helmet right under the chin. That's where, that's where you're shooting for. Just good fundamentals, you know, good fundamentals. just, just all, good all showing all. off the good fundamentals out there in the tailgating lots. Yeah, just what everybody wants uh, at like noon on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some people already having uh, imbibed spirits from Mississippi river for 12 straight out. I mean, when, when, okay. Totally random thought. When do you think it's going to be a live tailgating atmosphere Friday? When do the lots open Friday at three or six? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm sure that's when like the RV lots open, but yeah. I don't think I I'm guessing, isn't it six hours before the game? Like when the grass lots open, 
So I, but I don't, I think when the RV lots, when you're able to actually get in there, I think people will two day tailgate this one. We're like tailgate Friday night, have every, you know, everybody comes down. Oh yeah. There'll be plenty of people parked out in the RV lots. I'm saying that like the normal people will be there at like eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Yeah. I it's, I think it's going to be a tailgate. Normal being like, a relative term here. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a tailgating environment at like 7 PM on Friday. And that's just going to kind of run off and on until it really hits ramped up at eight or 9 AM. And then it's just going to be music everywhere. Barbecue smoke for seven hours till you get inside of Jack Trice. This is going to be one of those weekends where I'll wake up like at five o'clock in the morning on Saturday, like it's Christmas morning and I'll get all ready to go to work at five o'clock in the morning. It's like when you're a little kid and you get to play in your first basketball tournament and you wake up at 3 a.m. and put your jersey on and then you sit around in your jersey all morning until you finally leave at eight o'clock. I, uh, when, when is like game day comes on at what? Nine. Yeah. I think think most or, or Fox, you know, the, the, their pregame show. Cause uh boycott ESPN. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Not an actual boycott, but, uh, they, I don't know. That's going to be like six hours after most people are awake. It's like that. The actual start of the game day shows, most people are going to be up at 6am. Absolutely. Just raring to go waiting for that show to start. Right. Usually when like game day is like, when you wake up, it's like, okay, now it's time to go. That's the uh-huh. thing that gets you in the mood. No, this is like, everybody will be deep into it by then. <laughs> There's going to be on the, people are going to be on their third drink by the time the show actually starts. Right. Th- they'll be doing their show on Twitter. They're like the pregame show and people are half a bottle of Cody road into the day already. Let's make sure that we pace ourselves to actually get to three 30. That doesn't sound like very much fun. Yeah. We just want to make sure you can actually get there and then turn it back on afterwards. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Thanks. We'll talk to you again. Uh, well, I guess on Friday when we record our, uh, our pregame show, but uh, until then, thanks everybody for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Peace.